Hello and welcome back to Pinstripe Pulse. It has been a while. Right before the break, where are the Yankees? Judges out. Perfect game. Suspension. Mediocrity. What? Welcome back to Pinstripe Pulse. My name is Liam. I'm joined, as always, by my friend Jake. Jake, it's been a minute, man. How you doing? We back, baby. Um, no, I'm doing well. It's uh, hot as hell outside in New York City right now. Oh, my so God. Yeah. It, it's unbearable. I was just outside. I had work earlier this morning, and I walked maybe like a mile, if that, and my body's just shot. And then now I have to play an all-star game down in uh, Long Island Duck Stadium and try to gather up the energy to play against the Zodiac All-Stars who are studs. So I don't know how that's going to work out. At least it's an All-Star game. So if you get gassed by guys who are throwing 90 on a hot day, it's not the end of the world. I've but. heard they've got guys that are 93 to 99. I was like, that's a big margin. So um, hopefully <laughs> both 93. <laughs> Is this just a, a tryout for the Ducks, basically? Essentially, I'm. I really hope there should be scouts there, considering uh, what we're putting our bodies through for this this torture. <laughs> I was gonna say I I went to a few games a few years ago, seeing Vlad Guerrero Senior, uh, hit four hundred foot tanks off of like eighty five mile an hour pitches, which still very hard, but you know, indie ball is indie ball, right? There's a a lot of variation in the the talent and the backgrounds of all the guys who are playing out there. I mean, hey, Daniel Murphy, I think, was playing with the Ducks as recent as like two weeks ago. And yeah, he now, just got signed, right? Yeah, he just got re signed. Was it? I forgot which team it was, but like he just got picked up like a week and a half ago. And I mean, hey, the Yankees need a left fielder still. And maybe there's a left fielder sitting somewhere on a random uh, indie league team. So always a chance of that. And speaking of the Yankees, that's what we're here for. Um, it has been a while since you've heard us. Uh, it's been a while since we've recorded. Obviously, we've kept in touch with the games. You know, uh, I've had a really busy month, um, and so has Jake between baseball with us rescheduling a lot of the rainouts that happened in in a rainy April and May. Um, finally, getting done in brutally hot and uh, smoky conditions at times throughout this summer. Uh, we've been busy, but we're happy to get back to you all. Um, about a very weird time, it feels like, uh, in the Yankee season. And it seems to be a common thread of the previous few seasons, I feel like. Last episode we came to you, we were recapping a few weeks at the end of May in which the Yankees had a really strong May um, and, and some really promising signs. Harrison Bader returned from injury. Aaron Judge played out of his mind. Um, but the lingering feeling that we gave, and I think we're um, we're kind of validated now looking at the last month, um, was that we were concerned because we recorded right after Judge got hurt again. Uh, we were looking at some of the peripheral metrics and saying, you know, the Yankees are pulling out games, but, you know, their starting pitching hasn't been great. All of the hitters that aren't Aaron Judge haven't been great. And Harrison Bader was playing out of his mind. So you expected some regression. Um, and then it just took a few injuries here and there 
um, and a run of a few bad games to see a team that's really, really been struggling overall in the last month. Um, you know, overall in the month, 12 and 14, it's not a bad record. Um, and I, I pulled up some of the team stats here. Uh, and I, I did kind of cherry pick a few stats, but these are stats that I kind of think are indicative of how a team performs over the course of an extended period. Um, the Yankees ranked 25th in WRC plus uh, from June 7th to July 7th, which is the day that we're recording June 7th being the last day that we recorded um, and released an episode 87 WRC plus um, the league average being a hundred. Uh, and then it, with X FIP, uh, the Yankees ranked 23rd. So, you know, the bullpen has been pretty good. Uh, the starting pitching has been a whirlwind and we'll get into some of those uh, terrible to all-time fantastic outings uh, a little bit later here. Um, I think the Yankees are kind of lucky to get out of this stretch with a 12-14 and record. And now uh, there's a three-game series with the Cubs at home um, to get us into the All-Star break. And how do you feel about this last Yankees stretch uh, kind of staying above water? I mean, after losing those two games against the Orioles, those last two games of the series, after looking really good in games one and two, this series against the Cubs, it's a must win. Um, they have to sweep it, honestly. They haven't had a sweep in a long time. It feels like they've been getting – it's back to what their formula was early in the season where it's like just win two out of three if you can. If not, it's all good for the series splits and all that. Like that can't happen anymore, just to be blunt. Um, like I said, they looked really, really good with Bader coming back off the IL. He is a difference maker. He's not quite the same catalyst that Aaron Judge is, but – not every player is Aaron Judge. Maybe 1% of the league is on the same caliber as Aaron Judge. So you can't expect him to carry the entire offense um, the way that Bader and Judge did back when they both returned from the IL the first time. So offensively, it's like, where are you getting this production from outside of Bader, outside of, you know, who else is even really contributing that much at this point? Um, it seems like Torres has kind of regressed once again. He's very on and off. He has these moments where he had his best game of the season two days ago, three days ago. And then he, you know, relapsed back into his old ways in the last two games of the series. Um, you know, Rizzo, his offense, his pop in his bat has completely disappeared, which is so perplexing because he's never been a guy to lose his pop completely. He's had some stretches throughout his career where he's struggled, but he's always been a contact first, yet still a power bat. And it's been, what, 30 days without, 32 days at this point without a home run? That's crazy. That's insane, especially, like, he's played a considerable amount of games with the uh, short porch. So it's not like he's not playing at home. It's not like he's been on a completely brutal match. The dude just like, for whatever reason, I think that injury with his neck has really gotten to him. And maybe he did need an extended IL visit, but because of the state of losing judge, you know, just getting Bader back and not really having much other support, there was nowhere for him to really go to the IL and have a comfortable replacement for him. Unless you were trying to bring up what Andre Shaparo maybe. And even then it's like a gambit. Um, they just need to honestly shove. I mean, you get Rodon back today, and I think that's huge for the uh, pitching formula. Um, but Sevy being a complete utter dud at this point, it, it really is concerning because this is a dude that we also projected early on being a Cy Young caliber pitcher. And he has completely lost his ability to put away batters. It's, I've never seen anything like this before out of him. Um, so that's very concerning. It's, it's not like his velocity is completely down. He's just if you watch his pitch sequencing, he's throwing balls right down the middle every time. Like, 
the amount of hard contact he's given up in his last four starts is insane. Um, so at this point, you just really need to find a way to win this weird this series with some kind of conviction. So that way you can get like allow Cashman to cook. This is one of the points where I'll give a little bit of credit to Cashman. He seems to find ways to pull off pretty good trades at the deadline. Like no one saw Bader coming last season. I think this is his time to really prove that he is an above average general manager in the league and bring in like at least one or two lefty bats. Like I would say Cody Bellinger has to be on that, you know, the top of that list as well as maybe another starter and then another reliever because we did lose Jimmy Cordero, which is something that we will get into later as well. But there's a lot of shit that needs to happen to this roster for us to feel good about it. Yeah. And I kind of want to go off of that Cashman point and we'll get into Rizzo and Severino and, you know, the other guy in later detail. Um, over the course of the stretch that I outlined since our last episode, the last month from June 7th to July 7th, there are five Yankees with a WRC plus uh, weighted runs created plus an overall offensive metric, um, not only hitting, but also base running and, and whatnot um, over a hundred over the league average. Can you guess those five players? Billy McKinney. Billy McKinney, number four. Dick Bowers. Jake Bowers, number five. IKF. IKF, number two. Anthony Volpe. Anthony Volpe, number one. I'm missing one. Mm-hmm. Josh. <laughs> you said Donaldson? Yeah. No. It's Willie Calhoun, number three. Yeah. So lineup for what, three weeks now at this point? Exactly. And uh, that's with him having the smallest sample size of, of 24 plate appearances. So you're looking at full-time players over that time. Uh, Jake Bowers, Billy McKinney, IKF, and Anthony Volpe. Um, all of them, you can say, when we did an episode, when we did our episode in October, were any of those players on the roster? All of those players were in legitimate consideration to not be on this Yankees team. And, and Volpe, you would have hoped, um, even if he didn't break camp, um, would have been up by now. But he's the only who's like the locked-in kind of starter. Um, and what's crazy about the Billy McKinney run is that he has a WRC plus of 105 from uh, June 7th to now. His last two weeks since June 25th, Bad. he has a negative 80 WRC plus. Ne- so that means a zero would mean that he is half as productive as league average. He is almost a full player. He's like an Aaron Hicks He's like if you did Aaron Hicks twice, I don't with the Yankees. Aaron Hicks has been playing out of his mind. Like if you took a like a a D three play baseball player and then put him in the MLB. Yeah. Yeah, honestly. Um out those last two weeks, I just filtered it. Uh Billy McKinney only has 16 plate appearances, a zero percent walk rate, fifty percent strikeout rate. Um a 0.06 average. So I think that's like one or two hits an OPS yeah. of 125. Um, but getting back to this last month, um, I think this has been a big problem for the Yankees that uh, we'll also get into. I don't think Billy McKinney is, is the reason for the Yankees issues. Uh, we were fortunate to have him play out of his mind for those two weeks. And now he's um, back probably below, honestly, his level. Cause he is a decent MLB player. Um, yeah. There's another stat that I like, which is weighted runs above average. Um, and that's pretty simple too. Zero is 
an average MLB player. Um, a positive number is pretty high. How many runs you're getting over that time? We have four players that are above average, that being McKinney. Willie Calhoun with his 24 plate appearances is a 0.8. Billy McKinney had a, had a 0.1 weighted runs above average. So even though he was hitting decent, um, just about league average, IKF with a 2.4, um, Anthony Volpe with a 3.6. So IKF and Anthony Volpe combine for six weighted runs above average. We have three players with four players with over a negative three and a half weighted runs above average. And there's a lot of money in these names. At negative 3.7, Anthony Rizzo. At negative 4.1, Josh Donaldson. At negative 6.1, overall negative impacts on the team. Extremely, more so than Volpe and IKF's positive contributions, is DJ LeMahieu. That's who I was going to guess. Can you guess who the last one is with the highest at a negative 6.6? Oh man, um, it's not Glaber because Glaber's been. Is it Glaber? Nope, Glaber's been decent, uh, below average, but decent. Way below average. Trevino. Mm. I don't know. Giancarlo Stanton. Oh. Negative six point six. So, basically, having one, having either. Giancarlo Stanton or DJ LeMahieu in the lineup, and they've both been in the lineup pretty consistently. Um, second and third, respectively. Oh, no, uh, third and fourth, respectively, in team plate appearances over this month. Um, they have neutralized the positive effects of Anthony Volpe and IKF in terms of that metric. Yeah. Um, it's pretty insane. Now, you look at, we're looking at a month long, right? And we had a pretty bad month looking back at, at the calendar that i see here that's the Mets split that's the two uh sweeps or did we i think we, we went one and five against the red Sox, right we got one at home swept in boston so some really really bad times for the yankees you go back to the last two weeks it's a bit more positive you're looking at john carlos stanton um with only a negative 0.4 so john carlos stanton had a negative six uh, weighted runs above average over that two-week stretch. He's at about league average when we look at WRC+. Plus. Um, we're looking at Anthony Rizzo, again, just a little bit below league average on the up and up, but still not performing well. Um, but DJ LeMahieu, negative 3.3. And I think that's that's a big conversation that we were texting, we've been texting about over this last period on what is up with DJ because by all accounts he's not hurt and he doesn't appear to have the signs of injury that we've seen. Um, but he was granted a six year contract at about 15, 16 million a year, 15 um, mil, 15 mil at the end of 2020 season. So this is halfway through his third season, three and a half years of DJ on the books. Is this the player he's going to be? I hate even thinking about this question, but it's a reality at this point. Um, I've never seen him follow through with one hand more in his entire career than now. I don't know if that's something mechanical necessarily. Like that's another thing that's very puzzling about his swing at the moment. It's not even like his mechanics look awful because you see plenty of guys with a one-handed follow through, but he is apparently swinging out of his shoes. It looks like he's always on a swivel. Every time he swings, he's just spinning around. Um, 
And every now and then he does run into one. But at the same time, I've seen more rollovers out of him than I have in the last four years as him as a Yankee. Um, It's a serious problem. And his defense hasn't been necessarily gold glove. It hasn't been horrible. So I think that sometimes takes a little bit of the, you know, spotlight off of him as a problem for this team. But it doesn't change the fact that he is holding up so many roster spots right now by playing second base, by playing third base, by being a DH as well, first base. He's a backup at essentially three infield positions and then gets his time at DH because he is an aging, you know, star at this point. Um, I think at this rate, I hate saying it, but he is probably the most likely to either be dealt or at least phantom IL'd at some point, even if he insists that he's not injured. Um, You can't continue to run him out the same way that you can't continue to let Luis Severino pitch. With Stanton, it feels like a little bit of a different situation because recently his swings have looked like significantly better. Um, he's still hitting the ball very hard, but we've always kind of preached the fact that he has issues timing balls up when he comes back from the IL. The first week that he came back this season from the IL, he actually looked really good, which I already kind of estimated was a sign that he was going to regress at some point pretty quickly. And he did exactly that. He went on three or four weeks of having absolutely no chance at hitting anything well. Um, That starts to turn around now, and that also comes with him playing the outfield more. That being said, he's still somewhat of a liability in the outfield. I mean, he made a really nice double play, um, what was it, two days ago? When he uh, doubled up, I forgot which runner it was for the Orioles, threw an absolute seat. His arm's not an issue, but his mobility in the outfield is still an issue. So you can't justify playing him out there five times a week. So, once again, with DJ and him in the lineup at the same time, you're clogging up the DH spot and you're clogging up vital corner outfield and then infield position spots. Um, And then Josh Donaldson as well. Like, it's another one of these guys where his numbers at this point are insane. He's got like a 140 average, and then on top of that, he's got nine home runs. So you would expect – I think he's also – his OPS is like 675, so it's not terrible, but it's still not good. And that's just because all of his hits essentially – I want to say like 65, 70% of his hits at this point are home runs. So it's going to look super inflated. Um, So those three guys alone right now, and then if you include Rizzo in that conversation as well, who, by the way, has also had regressed defense this season, um, there's a significant drop-off, man, and it's like how much, how can you move those contracts? Is there a way to move those contracts? The only one that really I can see being DFA'd completely is Donaldson because he's only got half the season left at this point on his, on his deal. So it doesn't really matter long-term implications, what you do with him at this point. And he's also holding up Barraza's roster spot realistically. Um, But they have a lot of serious questions that they need to introspectively look in the mirror and ask, what do these veterans that have, you know, been well seasoned for us and have provided, you know, massive at at bats for us and massive defense for us, the last few years, like, what do they mean to us now? The Yankees are in a really interesting spot, I feel, right now. Um, and I want to move into giving Volpe his props and some positive conversations after this. Yeah. But I, I think it's a significant problem the Yankees have about the Josh Donaldson situation because mm-hmm. we're looking at DJ LeMahieu. Um, and his production, and we're thinking of what can a third baseman be? And at the beginning of the year, we're looking, hey, we want DJ to be our third baseman. We want Glaber to be our second baseman. 
Um, or maybe Glaber goes and it's DJ Donaldson. If you're not going to part ways with Donaldson, make way for Peraza. Um, DJ is at such a low right now. Glaber's at about a league average and he's doing his usual f- fluctuations um, way above and way below uh, the average kind of second base numbers. You know, fringe, all-star, outside looking in, all-star. That's kind of who Glaber is as, as a player now. Um, the Yankees can't chip DJ. They won't DFA him, right? And I, I think I, I wouldn't defend them doing that. Josh Donaldson could be a DFA candidate. He could be, um, if a team believes in him, he's at decent numbers the last two weeks, but, you know, not really promising signs. You know, the Yankees might get a mid-level relief um, prospect for Josh Donaldson at this point, and the team acquires, um, at, at this point, I would say uh, 8 to $12 million on his contract for the year, uh, given that it's about halfway uh, through this season. But you take Donaldson out of the lineup. Donaldson is one of the few positive points of this lineup in the last month uh, who's been especially bad over the last week and a half or so Um, but DJ has been worse than him and then are you taking a flyer on Oswald Peraza who is now you're playing two rookies on the left side of the infield and we saw how much Volpe struggled coming up um, and Peraza had good numbers in September um, but often low leverage situations the Yankees kind of had the division tied up it was about judges home run race more than it was about the Yankees being competitive. Um, the Yankees are going into a trade deadline uh, with ambiguous information about their star player and seemingly their star player that they cannot win games without. And I think we're a lot closer than a lot of Yankees fans realize to the Yankees selling and punting on this season. And it might be crazy to think about the Yankees are eight games above 500. I think 40 yeah. and 40. Yeah. Um, but they're tied for third, which is essentially fourth place. And I know seven teams make the playoffs, but the Yankees are looking at value and 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 money. I think if we get news in the next week or two, and we might not get it because judges' injury seems to be um an issue that is kind of ambiguous, and the Yankees are keeping it close to the chest with giving guesses. They don't want to guess, they want to know before they release. Um, any injury updates I think if we have a clearer idea that Aaron Judge is going to be out into September or even out for the rest of the season um, I could see the Yankees legitimately selling Um, and that could be Josh Donaldson that could be Luis Severino Um, that could be even Jose Trevino or Kyle Higashioka we're looking at those Glaber Torres even and like hey you know we're clamoring for Oswald Peraza Oswald Peraza is only coming up if Donaldson or DJ or Glaber, somebody is out either injured or traded. Um, And, you know, like you said, we have a big series with the Cubs and then we have um, a West homestand coming out from the 14th through the 19th in Colorado and against LA, which Colorado is a tough place to play. Um, And the angels, I said, LA, it's really Anaheim. The angels are a serious contender who the Yankees are competing with. Um, and this conundrum of Donaldson and DJ's play makes it uh, a tough consideration for the Yankees on are we buyers or are we sellers at this deadline, especially given the uncertain nature of Judge's injury. So, yeah, I agree. Um, I also, at the same time, believe that nothing is off the table completely. That's the weird thing about this Yankees team is because they are eight games over 500, that almost feels like a miracle, right? 
Like, they've had one of the worst roster constructions in recent memory of any team, like any contender, and they're still at this point where they can easily make it into the playoffs. And also the AL East is pretty much all of the teams in the AL East that are competing right now are not playing their best baseball. The Orioles, they started off against us really poorly. I think they were like they had a six game losing streak going into that series um, or like five games and they ended up with a six game losing streak. They had uh, the Rays are barely making it through right now. Like they are limping and thankfully they put themselves uh, themselves in a good position to hold first place for now, like the same way the Yankees did last year. Um, the reason the Yankees were able to hold first place is because both the Rays and Toronto were both struggling at the same time. So that's happening with all five teams in the division right now. No one's playing fantastic baseball. So I could see them also spinning it. We can maybe sell away a few pieces, but also there are additions that can be made to immediately help the team. And I mean, I think that it, you might see a combination of buying and selling. It's really weird. It's a weird situation because I think their prime target would be a Juan Soto type, especially if they can move a big package for him. And it sounds like the Padres would be open to some uh, potential trade talks, although they are on a hotter tear right now than they were previously. If I'm the Yankees, I'm going to be making calls about him and Otani at this point. Because, like, you have to do something to give a little bit of life to this franchise. That being said, it's like, what are you going to give up for those guys? Are you willing to give up your Dominguez, your uh, Spencer Jones, um, Everson Pereira? All these guys are coming up, and they're very close. Austin Wells is probably going to get the catcher's nod in the next year or so. Um, it feels more and more like Trevino and, like, Higgy are on their way out eventually. Um, and then you've got Ben Wartfit and Austin Wells and AAA and AA, respectively. They like their lefty hitters. Those two can be a really good catching tandem soon enough. So I feel like that's a very realistic way to go about it. It's just a matter of what kind of value that they can get for these guys when other teams around the league might see them as desperate. They're going to raise that asking price pretty high. So it's just a matter of willingness, what they're wanting to spend and what kind of uh, flexibility they're going to give when it comes to making moves. Yeah, and going back to giving Cashman some credit here, right? Think 2015, 2016 seasons, right? The Yankees had a 2015 season in which they hadn't really made a decent run of the playoffs. They were a bad team. I think they were out. They were out of the playoffs in 14. They, I think, they were in in 13. Was that the Raul Abanez like home yeah. run against the Orioles year? Um, but you know, 2014 Jeter's last year, they didn't make it. 2015. Um, they're kind of a middling team and they go in and they they make a wild card game and Dallas Keuchel shuts them down and that's the season, right? And then it's like, why even make the playoffs? In 2016, they turn the tides on that and they're shopping out Errol Chapman, Andrew Miller, um, you know, because they had guys in the organizations, uh, in the organization that they wanted to get some playing time, namely Gary Sanchez, Aaron Judge, Glaber Torres, Tyler Austin um, coming up behind them. So it is a direct function of those sales and allowing that major league development um, where the Yankees saw in 2016, we're not a World Series team. We're not better than Cleveland. Uh, we're not better than Houston even. Um, we're not better than was it, the Blue Jays and Orioles at that time. Yeah. Um, I think the Yankees have to look at themselves and say, if we're if we can't make a, a serious run of the World Series, we have those guys that you mentioned. We have Wells. Dominguez, Siegler, Spencer Jones, right? 
I think Harrison Bader is on the table to be traded. Harrison Bader has massively elevated his value in the last year because he was known to be injury prone. He has proven himself to be one of the best. Um, I mean, he he was known as this, but a real true premier defender in center field that has above average offensive pop overall. And that coming out of a gold glove elite center fielder is invaluable. And do the Yankees want to re-sign Bader given his injury issues? Um, or would Bader be best served on like a Houston Astros at an Anaheim Angels, right? Like a team that is right at the fringes of making a run, um, go in, have him as a rental, have him as a hair on fire kind of player. Um, I think it's realistic. However, I also think this Yankees team, when right, can make a run. That's the annoying part about it, man. It's like they're so close, but so far at the fucking same time. Like they just, they need to make a few different tweaks. And these are things that they could have addressed easily in the offseason. We preached it the entire time. You just need a few lefty bats, a left fielder that's good, like an, an actual solid real left fielder, not guys that are pseudo outfielders that are learning the position on the fly, um, a.k.a. Waldo and IKF. I mean, IKF is hitting great right now. Don't get me wrong. I've loved every little adjustment that IKF has made to his game. He would be a fantastic utility bench player for them to have, but he's playing a majority of the time in left field right now, and that's a problem. He's just not a left fielder. Um, so that needs to be addressed without judge. It's clearly that they completely ran their team around him, right? Everything was revolving around judge being on the field and they are a different beast when he is on the field. It feels like they can beat anyone when he's on the field. And that makes sense, especially when you pair him with Bader. Those are two of like, already you have 67% of the best outfield in the league by just having those two players out on the field at the same time. How are you going to address his loss? And even if he does come back, you know that there's always a chance that him or Bader can go down at any given moment. I'm not saying that Judge is injury prone, but he's had some really bad luck with injuries throughout his entire career. So how are you going to ensure that you have an insurance plan when he does or if he does go down? Not saying that he's going to, but there's always a possibility of that happening. And even then, it's like they got swept by the Astros in four games in the last ALCS, and it was a really bad watch. That being said, Harrison Bader also carried that offense the entire time. So you know that he can do it under the big lights. So yes, every playoff contender is going to be interested in him. But you have to like look at yourself and say, are we a playoff contender? Yeah, and it it's so interesting how cerebral baseball is because it doesn't make sense in your head given how little of an impact each hitter in a baseball game has the way that the game is designed but every time i'm at yankee stadium and every time opponents and teammates are at yankee stadium and you go you go into an inning and you're down a few runs you're looking at where is judge coming up in the lineup you see judge having his helmet on on the step while he when he's in the hole to hit when he gets up on deck like it is a, the game functions around Aaron Judge because almost 50% of the time he's at minimum going to progress the rally and about a quarter of that time he's going to do something of significant damage um, which is unreal and I think that's why we have to be more conservative with him than aggressive this year which might be an unpopular opinion with Yankees fans that really want to win right now all the time but we have nine years left of him being the focal point financially and functionally of this Yankees offense. So, and you mentioned last year, right? When 
the offense revolved around him playing out of his mind. And we made two significant additions. The two changes from last year um, are players that we've seen, a player that we've seen, and a player that we haven't seen. And I want to start with a player that we've seen um, really struggle early, but has been awesome since he had a nice Italian dinner with the aforementioned Austin Wells. Uh, And that is Anthony Volpe. Anthony Volpe is one of the best hitters in the last month. We I talked about all of the negative stats in the last month for the Yankees. Um, if you cut out Anthony Volpe's stats since that day that he had um, a nice chicken parm dinner uh, with Austin Wells in his New Jersey home, as reported by Brian Hoke, Anthony Volpe has a WRC plus of 138. Uh, previously, he had a WRC plus of about 65 which includes his base running prowess. Um, He's been a lot more balanced at the plate. He's more closed off. It is obvious that now he can hit to opposite field with power, whereas that was not an option for him before. His only option for hitting the ball hard was pulling off inside, elevating a ball that was already given to him high in the zone. And pitchers saw that and were not throwing the ball there. The only time he got those was when pitchers were missing. You know, a grand slam against the Oakland A's because they were already down uh six runs right those kinds of things um you look at a spray chart um and like the the hard hit percentages around the field you can see that he's barreling up baseballs to different corners of the field um that's been really telling and if you cut out even more recently uh volpe in the last two weeks has 40 plate appearances a 191 wrc plus uh, a 1.04 ops um that is up there you're talking otani you're talking Trout, you're talking Luis Robert in terms of American League hitters of a similar situation. Now, is that Anthony Volpe? Probably not. Is that Anthony Volpe this year? Probably not. But in terms of making an adjustment, in terms of adding some dynamicism uh, with the stick, I think this is a really promising sign. Yeah. No, I mean, he's... (laughs) That little, little detail and just closing his stance up a little bit has come such a long way. And part of the reason we didn't see a lot of the production with his running, uh, base running abilities and, you know, prowess throughout the first couple months of the season is the fact that he wasn't getting on base that often because he was striking out so much. His strikeout rate's still fairly high, but it's cut down significantly since the point he made that adjustment. And that's literally just him going back to his roots. It's what made him so successful as a prospect in the first place. So, yes, it's frustrating in a way that um, – Dylan Lawson and company didn't pick up on that early on. Like you would like the coaching staff to be able to make that quick adjustment for him. But at the same time, just be thankful that it happened no matter what. I mean, Austin Wells and him, you know, they've been playing with each other for so many years at this point in, you know, single A, double A, all this. And they know each other so well that all it takes is sometimes just that one extra perspective from someone close to you to realize, Hey, all you need to do is make this one little adjustment. You'll be good to go. And he's done exactly that. His uh, defense, by the way, has not been a problem whatsoever. His arm isn't the best. It's not like you have Ellie De La Cruz at shortstop. But he still makes accurate throws for the most part. His footwork looks great. Um, he's not. You're not seeing nearly as many bobbles or like mental lapses as you were in the beginning of the season. Like This is easily the most like stable we've felt at shortstop in a long time, since DD's prime, essentially. Um, and I think that every Yankees fan needs to be reassured by that. But at this rate, I don't think there's really another shortstop in the league, like one of the top shortstops that I would take over him because you can build so much around this kid right now. 
maybe Corey Seager would be a great supplemental ad. Like he would have been a really good addition because I think you could have eventually moved him to second base or third base if you wanted to. But Volpe is the future here, and he's here to stay. Like that's just a fact of the matter right now. And what I found interesting in the last month looking at these numbers um, is that his stolen base numbers haven't really jumped off with his increased on base and uh, batting production um, that you that you would expect. But that's kind of a function of him being in the middle of the lineup here. Um, yeah. And now with DJ being so pitiful, we've seen Volpe ascend to the top of the lineup. Now this time in a deserved production standpoint, as opposed to a confidence standpoint that came earlier in April. Well, it's also hard to steal bases when you're hitting doubles and home runs all the time, right? So, like, it's not yeah. like he's little infield tricklers constantly and having – or, like, taking a walk and then having to steal second and third. He's already at second base after he hits the baseball. He's hitting more gappers and barreling balls at a more frequent rate than I've seen just about any shortstop in the league do at this point. Um, I think he's right up there in terms of production with your Corey Seager. And he's above Correa and Trey Turner right now, which who would have thunk that would be the case. But with the tools that he has, he doesn't have to steal nearly as many bases if he is constantly getting the second base by the time that he's scoring. And then if someone hits a hit, like a just a single following him, he's scoring second to home easily. So I think we will eventually see that stolen base number go up a little bit. I'm not necessarily looking at that as like the prime indicator that he is at his best if he if he doesn't, if he steals 50 bases, that's awesome. That's amazing, obviously. But if he ends up with like 25 to 30, I'm still okay with that because I have a good feeling at the way that he's swinging the bat right now, he's going to end up with an OPS between 780 to 800. Like that's very much so not out of the realm of possibility. Um, he's kind of getting back to the form of the guy that he was in AAA, or not AAA necessarily. He was barely in AAA, but AA, where he was like a 250 something hitter with a high eight. OPS and just the power tool was there the gap to gap power was there the just the everything he's the full package and the defense really hasn't been an issue for him whatsoever he's covering the the gap in short really well his throws aren't Ellie de la Cruz like necessarily but they are also really solid and he's accurate and he is the most stable I feel like we've had of a shortstop in a very long time ever since probably Didi in his prime back in what, 2015, 2016, 17. So there's a lot to look forward to with him here. And I think he will only get better as we continue to add his fellow prospects that are in AAA and AA that he played with up to this roster because that's when you're going to really see the chemistry cultivate. Don't expect this from the kid, um, but expect better than 220, uh, you know, 20 home run, 20 stolen base guy. Um, what we want out of Volpe and what is that complimentary piece that we were really lacking, especially in the second half of last year, um, once DJ and Benintendi got hurt and that proved evident in the playoffs, um, was just like a reliable 270 hitter um, with a mid 300s on base percentage um, at the top of the lineup and someone with his dynamicism on the bases in front of Aaron Judge's issues for pitchers in this division. And we've already seen it a few times with Yenier Cano spiking a wet sinker, right? And and just with Volpe being on third and that being a problem, you know, even though it bounces right back to the catcher, Volpe scores easily, taking bases, hitting doubles. Um, so we talked a lot of negative, and I've talked a lot of negativity about how the Yankees could potentially be sellers, but we're looking at these additions. Anthony Volpe, 
Um, and we'll get into the next guy who I want to talk about, Carlos Rodon, and I'll, I'll throw it to you there in a second. Um, but, you know, Anthony Rizzo isn't going to keep this, you would hope, uh, Giancarlo Stanton and Josh Donaldson. Who knows? DJ LeMayhew, it's ambiguous. We talk about trade pieces, a left fielder, you know, Cody Bellinger, um, Christian Yelich, someone of the like, even a Juan Soto, if we really go out there. Um, we're looking at a team that could be really good and that, you know, Anthony Volpe being like how Anthony Volpe is, Aaron Judge, Anthony Rizzo, Giancarlo Stanton, um, you know, DJ LeMayhew or Josh Donaldson, Harrison Bader down there. In theory, that is a really formidable offense that we have just not seen. I didn't even mention Glaber Torres as a six, seven hitter. Um, or even being the fifth hitter, you know, push down DJ and Donaldson who are having poorer years. Um, we're looking to add maybe in that sense in, in which they're all playing well. Um, so there's a lot of fluctuation here. Um, and some of that comes from the starting pitching uncertainty. And I'll, I'll talk first the positive with Carlos Rodon coming back. Uh, how do you feel about Rodon's path to recovery, finally joining the team and, and what that means for us moving forward? I'm so excited. Um, I think that learning about this chronic back injury or back condition, whatever it may be, before the season even started was the best thing that could have happened to him almost because you don't want this, you know, lingering and him underperforming throughout the season. Him, him wondering what's going on. Why is my velocity down? Why don't I get as much extension as I did before? And then having poor numbers and then on top of that being out for the rest of the season because he has this un weird undiagnosed back pain. Um, and then maybe that leads to also compensation in his shoulder and his elbow. So many things can go wrong at that point. I think now that he has a stronghold of what exactly he's dealing with, he has a recovery plan that he knows that this is probably going to linger with him for a while because it is chronic. It's something that he's going to have to like live with. But at this rate, you have to trust that his personal trainers, the Yankees staff, the medical staff, everyone has told him exactly how to deal with it. He has probably a great PT regimen that he has gotten on track with starting what three months ago at this point. So he has plenty of time to be in a, like a flow with it. And you're kind of seeing the results of that regimen unfold with his, uh, his minor league starts. He's gotten progressively better throughout all three or four of them. And the numbers look better. I think he had seven strikeouts in his last one most recently. And from everything that I've heard, everyone that has attended those games or watched those games, his stuff just looks better and better every time out. And the way that his mindset works, he is a warrior out there. He is going to be the gung-ho, no BS, you know, flamethrower that the Yankees are looking for. Even if he's not necessarily throwing 99 miles an hour every pitch, I think that he's a guy that can work with 94 to 96 with elevated fastballs up in the zone. Like he he's going to find a way to be like not just crafty but also aggressive against a lot of these hitters, and that's going to pay big dividends, especially when guys like Savvy are struggling so badly. Yeah, I'm with you there. I'm very excited for Rodon. You know, we we've talked about him early on. Um, I don't want to get too ahead of myself, right? But in in theory, um, if all goes well, Rodon is a second ace. Um, and he's going to need some time to recover. You're going to see four and a third early on. You're going to see, you know, a great outing in which he throws 75 pitches and he's pulled after the fifth inning. Um, stay with that. But like, we need that. That's valuable bulk um, because we're looking at, uh, hopefully we're looking at late August, September 
um, in which we're ramping up, in which Rodon is winning games as a second number one starter for this team. Um, and it really fills the void because not only do we have the Nestor Cortez injury, um, and Nestor has been shaky the whole year, um, but recent immense struggles from Luis Severino, who we thought at at best was the Yankees number two, even above Rodon, given his talent, um, and is just looking like one of those pitchers you see with really high tools that just goes and plays in the minors or, or plays in an independent league where it's like, how is this guy not a major league starter? Um, and it's getting shelled. And Luis Severino obviously is a major league starter and will always be a major league level starter, but has gotten absolutely shelled on multiple occasions in which after two innings, Luis Severino, Luis Severino has just taken the Yankees completely out of a chance of winning a game, including last night. Um, what are your feelings on Severino given his recent stretch? Bullpen, straight to the bullpen. Um, wow, okay. At this rate, deserves to be in the rotation until he figures it out, maybe. Um, we've already seen his stuff play up in the bullpen whenever he's had to start off there after coming off of an injury in the season. Um, I think that's when you can allow him to really let it fly and hit his 98 to 99 and not have to worry that quite as much about his pitch mix. Um, but it almost does feel like a bit like an Alec Manoa situation, right? Where you've got a guy that's supremely talented, all the tools are there, but for whatever reason, he just can't piece it together in real time. And he's just getting hit harder than he's ever gotten hit before in his career. Um, you can't like, they were already taken out of that game last night by the second, third inning. They had no shot of coming back. And obviously one run isn't going to cut it, especially when that run comes in dump garbage time. But at the same time, you got to give your offense a chance to do something. And the game was already way out of hand, not even a third of the way into it. So how are you going to justify rolling him out there again and again, when you're not seeing any kind of po uh, like positive progression within those starts? Like I said, fastball velocity hasn't looked awful, but the location is fucking terrible. And yeah. you're not going to be able to get away with throwing 96, 97 at the heart of the plate every single time and then having, you know, sliders with no bite. It's just, he's got to figure it out, man. And I don't think you can rely on him as a rotation piece at this point. Yeah, it's tough, but I think it's worth considering. The only reason I would hesitate on your take there is the other options I, I think his performance and his statistics indicate that a bullpen move would probably be the best case in theory when we're looking at a playoff run you know run out Cole uh Rodon Nestor and even if if Herman's in there if Clark who's, who's been pretty decent um you look at his peripheral statistics, you know, an 18% strikeout percentage is really solid. Um, below 10 walk percentage is near 10, though, which you don't love from a starter. Um, it's not terrible. Um, but his opponent batting average is 350. Fucking horrendous, uh, yeah. <laughs> in the last month. And that's not even including his Dodgers start. If I if I go back a few days oh, uh, on, on this last month. Yeah, um, you have that that's really where it started to melt over. 370. Mm -hmm. opponent batting average of 370 um by far the worst pitcher that the Yankees have had because the only other options uh, above him that are worse on the FIP or on the opponent batting average charts are Matt Crook Ryan Weber and Ian Hamilton 
none of whom have thrown more than four innings. Luis Severino has 31.1 innings since yeah. June 1st. Um, it It is really tough. Um, and out of the starting rotation, yeah, great in September if this lingers, if these things linger, right? But I don't think that's reasonable on, until we get an Esther Cortez back because right now the Yankees rotation, you're looking at Cole, uh, Rodon, who's going to need some some help from the from the relievers, Sevi, Domingo, and Clark. Um, right now, Sevi has to at least be a number five, unless you're really loving Randy Vasquez or Johnny Brito, um, which I don't love. Herman Clark and Randy Vasquez. Um, no, I guess Vasquez has has been good. I don't know. What do What do you think there? I like Vasquez a lot, honestly. I think his slider is disgusting. Um, but. I'm coming from the mindset, honestly, where I think that they're trading for another starting pitcher. I think that you can see a Lucas Giolito. You can see a uh, – uh, imagine this package real quick. Giolito, you get Joe Kelly. This is a big one, Joe, Joe Kelly, and then also Luis Robert. Those three guys that saw the issues that the Yankees are already having in terms of offense and defense, and then also pitching. Um, I think that there's a, a, a world where they can pick up two arms at the deadline, before the deadline. Honestly, they need, they need to like work quickly. I would say don't waste any time during the all-star break already be hitting up teams at this point to see who's available because I do like firmly believe that there are trades out there where they can trade for a starting pitcher and make it work so that you can move Sebi to the bullpen, maybe piggyback him off of Rodon. So that way you've got two different kinds of arms coming at you, two different power arms, but two different arm slots altogether, one lefty, one righty in a good tandem so that way they're both working their pitch counts up again i think sevy just needs to like kind of go back to scratch figure out what exactly is going on with his mechanics i think the best way for him to do that is in the bullpen because you don't have to worry about throwing 80 to 100 pitches a game maybe have him go 20 to 40 pitches which is what roughly like two to three innings you know and see what he can do from that position where he already has the game opened up for him um and I hopefully he does get his way back to the the rotation, but I think that there are other ways to supplement this team where you don't have to rely on him as a consistent arm. And I do think that Randy Vasquez and Johnny Brito are going to get there, you know, once every two or three week starts. Um, it's just bound to happen. But I mean, if I'm the Yankees, I'm not letting the Cubs leave without trading for Cody Bellinger. Like Bellinger does not leave the Bronx this week. You know, there is so many different ways to make this work where that's the frustrating thing about this team again, right? Is there maybe two or three big trades away, or like decent trades away even, from being a really good contender again. But we just need to see it happen. And I think what goes along with this is how confident are you about the rest of the rotation and who they're supplementing with. Um, looking at these stats, uh, I'm seeing another starter here, Domingo Herman, is in would almost be in Sevy territory. If it weren't for nine innings of zero runs, zero hits, zero walks, <laughs> facing the minimum, uh, and throwing the most imperfect of perfect games. Um, we didn't get to talk about this right after. Uh, we didn't do it. I'm kind of giving away my hand about it. What? What's your memory of Domingo's perfect game against the Oakland A's last week? I'm really happy for Higgy, for one. Uh, like That's what I was going to say. God damn it. <laughs> like, he 100% earned that. It's so vastly difficult to obviously throw a perfect game. It's a call one. 
the stress that you have behind the plate as a catcher just to be that on point with every call you make and also have to deal with a pitcher that might be calling you off a lot of the time as well, which Higgy apparently told Dallas Braden that he was shaking him off several times throughout that start, which is even more impressive that he was like, all right, let me quickly recalibrate my brain, make sure that this pitch is good to go, make sure spot location is perfect, everything. That's where Higgy's value for this team is. He's really good at handling any kind of pitcher that they throw at him. That being said, I think he's expendable. That's a different story, different, you know, tangent altogether. That being said, Domingo was as efficient. I think he had 72 strikes out of like 99 pitches or something along those lines. That's insane. (laughs) He is the single most irritating, like dumbfounding pitcher that you can come up with because I think I even said this at the beginning of the season. He's a guy that can maybe give you a nine inning shutout and pitch as efficiently as one can be while also giving up like six, seven, eight runs the next day. Like he's just so inconsistent. His stuff is underwhelming in so many ways. Like his velocity is not crazy. He throws 92 to 93 and he was actually most successful at 90 to 91 later in the game, which makes it even more like baffling. Um, his curveball was working. It's a devastating pitch if he has it on point, but if he doesn't, if he doesn't have that pitch working for him, he's an incredibly average pitcher. And I think that's what's very frustrating to some teams, as I've also said this before, too. He has the numbers of really good baseball players in the league, like Mookie Betts and uh, Freddie Freeman have all had issues like hitting him throughout their careers. And he clearly has something about the way that he throws that is really hard to pick up for some guys. But if you pick it up, you pick it up. And that's what the majority of the league has done to him this season is they have hit him pretty well. Um, and especially in that four or five game span, it's insane looking at those numbers as a grand scope because <laughs> seven runs, 10 runs, seven runs, eight runs, whatever, point up in the sky. No, perfect game out of nowhere. And then he goes back to kind of being an average pitcher from that point onwards. So that last start was what, three runs through four, and it's like a third or four and two thirds, something along those lines. Good for him for getting that perfect game. I said that whether you like it or not, there's a chance that such a polarizing, majestic events almost that like is so mythical and mystical in the baseball world and sports world in general just because it's so difficult to do there's only a handful of them throughout the yankees being an organization there's a chance that that one significant event could change the entire course of the season for the yankees we haven't really seen that yet it did look like they were going to go on a tear a little bit after that point but there's still that chance of that happening because it's such a such a rare feat to accomplish and I mean, props to him for doing it. Still don't like the guy. I know you don't like the guy as well. A lot of people don't like the dude. You still can also acknowledge how fucking impressive it is at the end of the day. And like I said, Higgy, it deserves all the roses and flowers for that. Yeah, and we're at 3.30, so I'll make this quick. Uh, The stat that I like is that uh, each of the last three times that um, a Yankees pitcher has thrown a perfect game, uh, the Yankees have won the World Series that year. Um, and part of that is the beautiful picture that's painted from these perfect games. Don Larson to Yogi Berra in the World Series against the Brooklyn Dodgers in 1956. Beautiful, like a perfect game in a World Series I cannot fathom. Beautiful, majestic, insane. Hungover David Wells on Yogi Berra Day. Or no, was that David Cohen? I forget which one was, but it was it was a Sunday day game. What the Cohen was Yogi Berra Day? Yeah. A hungover David Wells 
who um, was a star pitcher that you know combated with Steinbrenner, um, who like didn't really remember he was pitching that day, as legend has it. Uh, day game, Yankee Stadium, 40, 45,000 people, throws a perfect game, uh, embeds himself in a solidified Yankees legacy, got him some broadcast years, but he was on the outs even given his antics and his performance, and he became a solid contributor for one of the best teams ever. In 1998, 1999, David Cohn, the, um, you know, one of the most dominant pitchers in the previous decade of baseball, one of the pinnacles of the Yankees success in the mid nineties um, on Yogi Berra day, again, day game crowd at home, all of these were at home, um, fantastic scenes. And then you have uh, Domingo Herman um, on a Wednesday night in Oakland Um a team that has the lowest attendance in baseball this year by a significant margin. One of the worst teams assembled, one of the lowest payrolls per um, relative to the average in major league history um, at a 940 first pitch on the East coast um, to a half empty, empty stadium and Domingo Herman being an average to below average pitcher, pitcher um, with a history of, of an MLB suspension for domestic abuse that was in the public eye and it's such like a a polar turn from the history of perfect games that we see and it, it kind of happened and you know i remember as a kid being enamored by mark burley and king felix and dallas Braden throwing these perfect games in like that three three-year time period and i was like wow i was rooting for it. they were all at home it was awesome um and this one I watched it with like a, a bunch of friends at the camp that I was working at, a bunch of Yankees fans, and we were all like, "Wow, what? What, what the fuck do we?" <laughs> yeah, and it was beautiful. It was one of the best pitching performances I have ever seen. Like his curveball was on point, spotting it. Like guys couldn't hit it if they tried, and he was just pounding the zone. Like he wasn't even yeah. missing out, making them chase that much. Like they were all they were strikes. <laughs> Like it's crazy. They were all strikes. He threw 90 pitches through eight inning and then a nine pitch ninth inning with a perfect game on the line for a 90. He threw a Maddox for a perfect game on a, a, a cold like Wednesday night in Oakland. Michael, like no Michael K, no John Sterling and, you know, Ruko and Shackle are, are great on the TV and radio respectively. Yeah. None of the, like half the journalists were there. If even like it, it's all of that goes into it. And, and, you know, obviously we have to, we'll get into a little bit more because our, our hand has been forced about the, the domestic violence situation. Um, but it's a very confusing, confusing event. I mean, props to Domingo. I know his uncle passed away just yeah. days before. It was huge for him. Um, and he was very emotional and, um, you know, speaking more than we ever see him, especially with someone with a translator. Uh, so I am happy for him in a sense, but it's very conflicted. Yeah, one more quick thing about the Perfecto, though. Dallas Braden was calling color commentary that day as well. So he was there. Wow. Yeah. like That's cool. Just to add to the whole mystique of it all. So, like, there's a lot of good that came out of that, obviously, but it's it's still very visceral and very just dumbfounding. I don't know. Yeah. And then it's you're getting calls from, you know, guys who are not much older than us from WFUV at Fordham University, like Ryan Rucco and Justin Shackle. Uh, on right Ruga for yes and shackle for for the radio when you have two legends of the broadcasting game and michael k and john sterling who have been getting all of those calls for the last 30 years 
Um, you know, the, for those guys to be able to call a perfect game is really cool. Um, and obviously, like we, we've spoken about this with with Domingo um, a few years ago, like there was the domestic violence situation um, at CC Sabathia's gala. Um, he was suspended for that. You know, he did his time, obviously something that we're not happy with. Um, and he seems to be getting a bit of a redemption from the team. You know, whether you think he should still be in baseball or on the team, um, I tend to wish he wasn't. Uh, I, I think that would be a reasonable penalty. But ho- however, the way that the sport works and the way that life works, right, is that if the Yankees were to release him, he would be picked up by somebody else. And ultimately, like Domingo has been super valuable and the Yankees are trying to win. Um, so. And the MLB is not going to ban him from the sport for something like that, that they only suspended him for a half season about, right? If if there were yeah. a, a repeat event, that could potentially be criminal, that could be ban worthy. And, you know, you have this domestic violence situation um, and you just never want it to spread or happen again with the team. Um, but now, you know, a few days ago, we learned that Jimmy Cordero um, of the Yankees also suspended for domestic violence from MLB. So their investigation has been done. He'll be out for the rest of the year. Um, and obviously, you know, our stance on domestic violence, we don't have to tell you that it's bad. We don't have to tell you that people shouldn't do it. And, you know, if Jimmy Cordero is ever Yankee again, that would be my preference. Um, and, but are, are all the Chapman we have the same kind of feelings for, right? Um, so, so my, my broader concern is that the more, the less we penalize it, the more that this will happen because Jimmy Cordero will come back and be a major leaguer and Araldis Chapman is going to be on a on World Series contender and Domingo Herman gets to throw a perfect game and be massively celebrated. Um and do they deserve that chance? You know, a lot of people will say yes. Like people are entitled to second chances. Um I still feel weird about it. But you know Jimmy Cordero ultimately it's something that really hurts the Yankees because he had been pretty decent. Uh, the Yankees are going to have to figure out their release situation again. They had been pretty solid for a while. Uh, just something that's terrible, and we don't have to tell you that, but something that happened, and we have to at least mention. And for all those that have said just DFM now, they can't. They literally can't release him until his um, suspension is over. So that's 81 games, so that's next year. Uh, so we're just going to have to wait it out and also see what more details arise out of it. Like, clearly he's accepted that his fate is – the rest of his season's done. Um, he otherwise he would have argued it. We saw Clevenger argue his mention earlier this season, so that's not the case this time around. He's just gonna serve his time. So we'll see what happens after this point. And it brings up an interesting baseball conversation, and that like the Yankees bullpen has been pretty solid, but it's kind of waning in in their dominance. You know, Michael King hasn't been as dominant. Ron Marinaccio has been pretty bad. When I when I'm looking at the Sevy page, I'm seeing Ron Marinaccio in similar light to Severino at certain times, right? And these are guys that are crux. Loisica still being out. It's a, it's a tough note to end on, but I do think we, we have to wrap it up, but it, it's confusing feelings. I think we'll probably come to you with an episode. Maybe after that, uh, that away trip on the West uh, being in Denver and Anaheim, um, see where the Yankees are coming up to the deadline. Um, uh, a week going into it. We have a nice subway series with the Mets coming up later in the month. Um, but enjoy your baseball. Enjoy your all-star break. Um, Jake, any last words for you? Trade for Joe Kelly, um, Giolito, Bellinger. You're good to go. Sounds I good know. to me. Sounds good to me. As I always say, not my money, but they have enough of it. So <laughs> They've got plenty. All right. 
we'll be posting some more. Hopefully we're still, uh, both of us have been pretty busy recently, um, but we'll see you at some games. If you're there, if your friends listening, thank you for listening and asking where we went. Uh, I had a lot of friends I saw in the last week who were like, I'm all caught. Like I need to hear, I need to hear what you guys are thinking on this. Um, so I appreciate the listens. Uh, and if you feel that way um, and you think we're especially insightful on some of these things, make sure to share with your friends um you know at pinstripe underscore pulse on twitter jake's been really active there at pinstripe pulse pod on instagram and on tiktok i'll get you out some clips uh youtube spotify uh share it all we thank you for listening and we will talk to you guys sooner than we did this time today thanks everyone